Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as you sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for the coming of our incarnate Lord, so we ask you to work through the words of today's sermon to prepare our hearts in worship of our incarnate Lord, to prepare them for his return, and to empower them to be your instrument in preparing our neighbors' hearts for our coming Lord. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel history according to St. Luke as recorded in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Atura and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40 had recorded, John the Baptist clearly fulfilled the role of the one who would come and prepare the way for the Lord. And our sermon theme for today is, The Baptist Prepares the Way for the Lord. Before we launch deeply into that, though, let me say something about those names. We begin our text and we read quickly through those names, areas that are kind of hard to pronounce in English. And we don't think more about them. But brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a reason why they're there, and they give us tremendous comfort. Let me make a comparison. We live in Wyoming, and the next state to us on the other side is, is Utah. And this is the mecca of a man-made cult. When you hear the story, Joseph Smith, supposedly in, in uh, the, the eastern coast of America, is visited by an angel, Moroni, who comes and tells him about all these civilizations and stuff, these books that he's supposed to find. Uh, it's pretty amazing how architects have never been able to find one, one of the cities that are mentioned in the Book of Mormon that are supposed to be in Northern America. I've asked Mormon friends and missionaries about this, and they say, oh, well, it's, it, you've got to look at the Mayans and their temples. That's what it is. Okay, that's South America. You would think for these established cities, like we can find uh, cities in architecture in the Middle East, you would think we'd be able to find them. None of the coins mentioned. And in fact, the truth of the matter is, Joseph Smith was sued after he published the Book of Mormon for ripping off the story from a man who was making a fantasy, who had written a fantasy. Hmm. But brothers and sisters in Christ, these names give us definites. We know within a, within a couple of years of when this happened. For archaeologists have found documents that mention Pontius Pilate. There is no denying in history Herod the Great, and again, they found Roman documents uh, discussing the fact that when he died, they divided up his kingdom among his sons, and there were some problems, and eventually Pilate becomes governor. All these men exist in history. They've been proven. And in fact, they've even found a scroll in Rome that talks about killing this guy named Jesus for being a king of the Jews. It takes faith to believe that he was God. It takes faith to believe since we were not eyewitnesses of the miracles. But you're a fool if you deny the existence of these people in history. 
These things have a definite historical circumstance. Our faith comes from the Holy Spirit, but it's a comfort for us to hear this, to recognize this is not some blind thing. This is not some blind hope. These are definite historical circumstances that occurred. And 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied the coming of the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. And we're told that when all of these, during the time of all these people ruling Annas and Caiaphas, Annas was the high priest, the Romans didn't like him, so they kind of deposed him. So his son-in-law became the high priest, but Annas still kind of ran things up. And in about three years later from here, guess what? It's Annas that they send Jesus to first to try to find some charges to make up to crucify him. Then he gets sent on to, to Caiaphas. And so we're told, in the time of Annas and Caiaphas' high priest, the word of God came unto John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Now we don't want to misunderstand this because it happens quite quickly. But a lot of Christians get confused and they think the word of God came to John the Baptist. Whammo! Suddenly he's got it all. All those books of the Old Testament, all 39 of them, put up in his head with perfect understanding and he goes out. No, that's not how it worked. The word of God that came to him was the message, now. Now is time to go prepare the way. His parents knew he was the one. The angel Gabriel had told Zechariah that. Now, follow along, because in those days they didn't have seminaries like we do. You learned under your father. Zechariah was a priest, a Levite. So John would have grown up, we're told these are, were believers. They were pious believers. He would have grown up in a home that was centered around the word of God, which at that time one of the names was the Torah, the instructions. He would have grown up in hearing the word of God. Because they didn't have printing presses then, they memorized it. They have found where, where families would sit down and go over portions of Scripture so that they would memorize it. He would have gone and saw Dad at work. Almost every day was bring your son to work day because this is how they learned their vocation. He would have gone with Papa when he walked out into those cities that, that were not near Jerusalem to read the Scripture on the Sabbath. And the Holy Spirit used all of that. He grew up hearing then learning the word of God. And then he came and said, now, now it's time to, to prepare the way. And he would have used all that learning of God's word as ammunition. Our Savior himself did not just, yes, true God, not using all the powers of Godhood. He didn't just go to himself, whammo, now I got the word of God. Even he himself grew up in a pious family learning the word of God. In fact, we even learned about one time, zealous for hearing the word of God, that at age 12, mom and dad accidentally left him behind. And the rabbis were impressed with his understanding because he didn't have sin to block that. And he did that perfectly for you and I because we don't do it well, do we? Our sinful nature makes us forget immediately. But, but Jesus did this also in our place. So the word of God comes to John the Baptist, gets started. And what does he do? And he went out to all the Jordan River preaching. Wasn't this whammo when people became no? John preached. He took that word that he had and he proclaimed it. Now, we divide God's word into two things, law and gospel. Law showing us our sin, thereby showing us we need a savior. Gospel telling us our savior has come. He's done this for us. He suffered the punishment for us in our place. This is what John preached. The Savior is coming. Isaiah said he would prepare the way for the coming of our Lord. And in that prophecy, by preparing the way, he'd make the highway straight. And it says every valley would be filled in and every mountain and hill will be leveled. 
Now, living in Wyoming, you can go out to coal mines. You can drive by those strip mines. And lots of times you see at the bottom what looks like a Tonka dump truck. And then you put it in perspective and realize that dump truck's as big as our church. And they've removed so much ground that it looks like a Tonka dump truck. It takes a lot to move that kind of earth, doesn't it? John the Baptist could not by himself and of his own powers remove a mountain. This was the power of the word of God. The Holy Spirit worked. The law taking away our own pride and arrogance. Look at the Pharisees that John went after. Oh, they boasted in themselves. Ooh, they could earn their own salvation. They could literally pry the gates of heaven open by doing so many good works. Until John pointed out how full of sin they were. Wham! The hill was leveled. The Holy Spirit enters our heart, even through the law, and convinces us, I'm a sinner. If I'm going to turn to my own self for salvation, I'm going to hell. And if that were the end of the story, if that's all John the Baptist had to preach, it would be a pretty gloomy day and we would not have a lot of joy to look forward to. He would come with the gospel as well. His major job was to point and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He takes those valleys of despair. What am I to do? I clearly can't save myself. And he fills them in with what? The blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit works to convince us, I deserve hell. I'm a sinner. But... God was perfect in every way, having taken on human flesh, was perfect in every way for you and I in our place, died to remove our sin, so we're credited both with his perfect obedience and with his suffering the punishment for sin in our place. So we're told that this baptism was a repentance baptism. Kind of fun working in the original Greek language. This is what qualified you for baptism. Repentance. What works repentance? The law. Showing our sin. Showing we need a savior. The Greek word for repentance is a change of mind. Metanomoio. To change my way of thinking, I earn my salvation. To Christ has earned my salvation. To change my way of thinking that I need to have good self-esteem. To I get Christ-esteem. I am a wonderful gem in, uh, because of Christ, not in and of myself. I have eternal life not because I've earned or deserve it, but because it's been given to me. A change in way of thinking. A change in way of thinking from turning to the ways of this world for our comfort and our joy to finding our comfort that we are a redeemed child of God. It wasn't too long ago since I've served you uh, talking to a relative about another relative said she needs to learn to love herself before she learns to love another. Talking about a relative who's aged to get married. I said that, that's, that's one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves in modern times. A child from the get-go knows how to love itself. But to love others, to truly love others the way God wants us to, to be willing to wash filthy feet like Jesus did, That takes a change of mind that we do not have in and of ourselves. The Holy Spirit works through the word. And that change of mind involves trusting Jesus as our Savior. So what qualified people for the baptism was John's preaching so that their mind was changed. Repentential baptism. 
Some of the Pharisees came and said, I couldn't hurt, let's do this anyways. And boy, did John ream them good. They had not fit the qualification. So he went out into all the Jordan River preaching a repentantential baptism. So far we've seen the Baptist prepares the way of the Lord with the word of God through the baptism for, repent, for the repentant. But the Greek makes it very clear, the inspired Greek here, uh, a repentantial baptism resulting in the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist proclaimed the law. And then when the people said, what are we to do? When their hearts were ready, actually the joy when Jesus walked by one day of saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is how baptism gives us forgiveness. Because the Holy Spirit is sealed in our heart, connecting us to Christ so that we receive the blood of Christ. And through that blood, our sins are washed away. It's sad today that so many Christians get confused and they turn baptism into a very pharisaical thing. Look, Lord, look at me. I've given my heart to you. I've chosen you. That's not what baptism is. Once again, we have to hear the law. Whammo, that mountain is cleared by God's word. Baptism is God giving to you. We receive a wonderful gift. He seals his Holy Spirit in our hearts and we get forgiveness. We get connected to Christ. A wonderful gift. Now, many Christians also get confused and they'll point out here, well, if repentance has to be a condition of baptism for John, then clearly you shouldn't baptize infants. This is their thinking. And, and they will often point out that in the early Christian church, most baptisms were among adults. Well, guess who John was working with? Adults. And with adults, you bring them to see they, why they need to be baptized first. As those adults had children, guess what? In the word of God spread, suddenly there's a surge of infant baptism. So their logic here does not apply because John was working with adults. And so he went out just as, as Isaiah had prophesied, making the highway straight. When Jesus came, the people in Jerusalem were looking for him. They had been told they needed a savior. They had been taught how the savior would come. And yes, he still had to explain it to them more. But John the Baptist, using the word, had straightened out the road. Jesus, half his disciples come out of being disciples of John. They had heard it. The mountain of their pride cleared away. The despair in their heart filled in with the blood of the coming Christ. And when he came, they naturally followed him. This would be Peter and his brother Andrew, John and his brother James. Followers of John who then naturally followed the Savior because John had prepared the way. And so we see in our own lives, still to this day, because the Holy Spirit worked through John, we see the Baptist prepares the way for the Lord with the word of God. That's preaching law and gospel. That law and gospel having worked, he would work through baptism for the repentant with adults bringing them forward. With children, we bring them forward and then that baptism, that word works the repentance. And it results in the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus, the one John pointed to, has come and has won that for us. Amen. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.